Neil, thank you for a, uh, I'll say an enjoyable song service. Um, what I mean by that is one that has uh, been, en- I've enjoyed because it has directed my mind where it ought to be. It has directed my mind to the cross, to Christ, to the redeeming power, and that's always enjoyable to see, not just because I like singing the songs, but to uh, be directed in the right way. Steve as well, appreciate your communion thought, especially at the end of it, just when he said, of a broken heart. Like right there, I was like, whoa, that'll preach. Maybe I should preach on that one of these days. Give, I'll, I'll steal the credit um, just for myself, but no, you know it came from Steve. That was beautiful. We've been in this series for, now that this is the fourth week in, the, in this book, but I, uh, I wanted to start uh, with a quick question. Do you know what kind of man Boaz was before he got married? He was ruthless. I have been waiting all series to say that joke. I mean, like, that's the whole reason I wanted to do this series was for that joke. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Oh, yeah. People are groaning now. You awake? (laughs) Okay. Feel free to use that one, and don't even give me credit because I don't know where I got it. Probably my dad. It's a dad joke, surely. For the past several weeks, we have been looking at the story of Ruth, and it's been a beautiful story in so many ways. In fact, I absolutely love the story, and I've had many of you come and talk to me afterwards saying how much you love the story, and I think that's for a good reason. I mean, we all like a good love story. We like it whenever things work out as they're supposed to, but there's so much more. There's something going on in this story that is so much bigger than simply the story of Boaz and Ruth. But just to remind you of where we've come from where we're, uh, and, and, and where we're heading this morning, in chapter 1, we meet a man by the name of Elimelech who has a wife and two boys. They decide to leave the promised land to go to the greener pastures of a foreign country called Moab. That is not a place where they should be going. That is not a place where they think uh, there's no reason uh, under God's rationale that they would want to go there unless they are truly stepping away from God. But they go there anyway. His two boys marry Moabite women, which has plenty of problems in and of itself. But eventually Elimelech dies. His two sons die, leaving Naomi, Elimelech's wife, and two daughters-in-law alone. Naomi hears, in chapter 1, still she hears that the famine, the reason that they left the promised land, there was a famine there, the famine had ceased, and there was absolutely no reason for Naomi to stay in a foreign land. So she heads back to Bethlehem. Well, one of the daughters-in-law stays home, per Naomi's uh, uh, urging, but Ruth says, nah, don't ask me to go. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. And she goes with Naomi and, and shows incredible kindness. Chapter 2, we find out that, that heading back home isn't just simple and easy. They are widowed, Ruth is fatherless, um, and she is a foreigner. So she does the only thing, she's industrious enough as a poor widow, she does the only thing that she could do, um, and she goes into the food for gleaning. 
uh, goes into the fields to glean. And it so happens, as she's gathering up this food, this precious food that she has, that she comes across the field of a family redeemer named Boaz. She couldn't have known whose field she was in. She just so happened to fall into the right field. I say that facetiously because I think God has a bigger plan going on here. But she is there. Boaz notices her and Here's the story of how she has come from Moab because she has given up her people and her gods to follow Naomi, who she loves, and Naomi's God. And so Boaz is impressed with this foreign woman and decides to take care of her. He prays a blessing over her about uh, a God under whose wings you have found yourself. It's a beautiful little blessing that he he gives her. Chapter 3 Ruth has made it really clear that she wants to marry Boaz. Most of chapter 3 is about this strange proposal that is going on uh, that Naomi orchestrates that is not the normal means of proposing, but it was the means that they had left. And so Ruth basically proposes to Boaz. And where we, leave the story, where we left the story last week, at the end of chapter 3, Boaz wants to marry Ruth. But he says, I can't do it because there is a redeemer that is closer than I am. Now that's a really odd kind of uh, thought in our thinking of today's day and age for marriages. Well, shouldn't, if two people want to get married, shouldn't they just get married? It's not always how it works. And especially when it comes to redemption. Because this isn't just a love story about Ruth and Boaz getting married. This is a redemption story that has ramifications through the rest of history. And so it's huge what's going on. And at the end of chapter 3, we are introduced, as any love story has this complications, as any love story has like a, some sort of competition, at the end of chapter 3, we meet the competition. We don't know who this guy is, but we don't like him. Because Ruth and Boaz are supposed to get together, not Ruth and this guy. So that's how we pick up chapter 4. Chapter 4 says this. Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz came, called out to him. Come over here and sit, sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. Well, she's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. We have a pause. All right. Verse 4. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you could redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of all these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. This is not how the story is supposed to go. You need to realize that. This is the wrong guy to be getting what is being sold here. But he doesn't know the full story. There's a few things going on that shows you that that Boaz has an ace up his sleeve. Boaz knows a little bit more than he's letting on at this point. He talks to this man, he brings him over, but here's one of the interesting details you may not fully get. We don't know this guy's name, but that's on purpose. See, every time he says, it says he's a, he's a closer redeemer than I am, 
And then whenever Boaz says in verse 1, come on over and sit here, friend, the Hebrew word there is not friend. Now, it's not a derogatory term or anything like that. It's not like he's poking fun at this man. It's really a term that you would mean like, you know, well, so-and-so, or maybe, hey, what's his face? Have you ever said that? Because I say that all the time. Hey, what's her face? If I can't remember names, which is often, it stinks. But I don't think Boaz can remember his name. The author doesn't want us to know this guy's name because this guy is not the point of the story. This guy was not a redeemer. He was not what the story was about. In fact, he was the complete opposite of what the story was about. And we'll see that in the very next verses. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires you to marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. Read the fine print. You know, it sometimes has some crazy stuff in there. That way, she can have children who can carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Well, then I can't redeem it said the family redeemer, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. What's-his-face has not been willing to act like a redeemer. This whole story. He wasn't willing to act like a redeemer whenever Naomi and Ruth came back to Bethlehem and were poor and were needing help. Who should have been there to help them? This guy. Old What's-His-Face was nowhere to be found in the story. He was nowhere to be found because this was not what he did. But Boaz was there. Sure, this man was willing to purchase the land. That was good for business. But not take on the family. In fact, he says it himself that this would be too much. It would endanger his estate. In other words, what he's saying is he can't have his estate endangered, become poor like Naomi, and need a family redeemer. He can't do that. That's below him. Oh, sure, he could take the land, but what's-his-face could not redeem the people. It's interesting to realize that the same risk that old what's-his-face gives, that same risk is the one that Boaz willingly took it would have endangered some of Boaz's real estate as well to go through this kind of thing could have been a struggle it was the same risk but Boaz was willing to take it he doesn't have to but he chooses to he chooses to redeem not only the land, but he chooses to redeem the family. And what's really neat at this point in Scripture, there is a change in how Ruth is talked about. Before this moment, Ruth is talked about Ruth the Moabite. She is the Moabitess, and that is always put, tagged on to her. But from this point on, throughout the rest of Scripture, her name is changed. She is now part of the family. She is never referred to as the foreigner anymore. She is just Ruth. That is beautiful right there. That this redemption goes all the way down to just who she is. She is no longer the foreigner among us. She's part of the family. What a beautiful idea. What a beautiful concept that is. Now the next few verses deal with the formality of this transaction. 
And, and basically it says, in those days, it was a custom, which, is, which basically tells you that we don't have to do this today, which is nice. Uh, for the transaction to happen, they would gather at the city gate. If the guy who had the first right to the land didn't want it, he would take off his sandal and hand it to the guy that was next in line, which is just like, I don't know why that's a huge significance. I honestly haven't studied it to find out all of that. I just know for them that meant something. And it was that Boaz could now redeem the land. And so the business transaction, he says, hey, I have bought the land, and I have, with that, I am redeeming Ruth as my wife and Naomi for the family. Then the men and those that are gathered around, they, they clearly see that God is doing something. And they bless this union. In fact, what it says in verse 11, it says, Then the elders and all the people standing at the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. It's a pretty huge blessing. Now, every one of us, I would imagine, when we have kids or think about having kids, wherever you may be at in the journey, you want your kids to be successful, don't you? You want your kids to be good. You want your kids to be famous or well-known for good reasons, not, not for bad. You want the best for your kids. And that's true of any of us, and I'm sure it was very true of Boaz and Ruth. But this blessing is huge. I mean, they're saying, may she be like the women that created the 12 tribes, the whole nation of Israel. And I think this blessing is honored. You see, the rest of the chapter of chapter 4, we see that Ruth and, and, and Boaz have a baby. And, and Naomi, we have this little section that the women praise Naomi. Naomi gets her smile back. She is not bitter anymore. She is back to pleasant uh, with what her name means of pleasant. She is back to that, and it's beautiful. And then we see the geneolo- genealogy, which can be kind of boring sometimes. Whenever you look at this one, it's fascinating. Because we find out that Ruth and Boaz become the great-grandparents of a guy named David. You know him as King David. It's a huge little piece of the story. I mean, just a small little thing of like from this child, from this Moabite woman coming as a foreigner and this redemption story, you get the likes of King David. David, And then, and then the story gets thicker. Because if you flip over a few pages and you head to the New Testament, you see that Ruth and Boaz become the great, 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 I don't know how many greats. You go plenty of generations. The great-grandparents of Jesus the ultimate redeemer. Apparently, redemption runs in his family. It wasn't just a Jesus thing. This was a thing from his ancestry. You see, if you were to mention redemption to the Jews, they would have pointed to this story. The Hebrews would have pointed, well, Ruth is a story of redemption. And they would have seen that so clearly. God was doing something in the relationship of Ruth and Boaz that Israel needed to see. They needed to hear. They needed to feel. They needed to understand that God has not abandoned them. God has not left them just to their own devices. God is wanting and willing and able to redeem them back to his own. 
They may have turned their backs on God. They may have figuratively went to the land of Moab. But God is waiting and willing. Come to me. Come back. I will redeem you. That's the story going on. And honestly, it's a small story in a big redemption plan. Because you see, God has always, all throughout Scripture, been talking about his desire to redeem his people. Because we're all in need of redemption. And so let's not just think that this story of Ruth and Boaz is a great story for them. It's a good love story to read and enjoy. This is our story. This is the story of God. And it's huge. Because this is why we can gather and sing praises to our Lord. This is why we can gather and let our hearts show through, through our singing, through our prayers, through our struggles, and through our praises. Because we have been redeemed. I think maybe we need to understand Jesus is our Boaz. Jesus is our Boaz. Especially whenever we think of he's our redeemer. He's the one that we desperately need. Without a redeemer, we would be discouraged, we would be destitute, we would even be doomed. But because we have a redeemer, we have hope. And this really ties in whenever we see the New Testament language about how Christ considers the church as his bride. Christ wants to marry us. He wants to redeem us. And scripture language talks about this as a wedding. And when you look at us, and you look at the filth of our lives to collectively, why would anyone want to marry us? Maybe we ought to understand what a Redeemer truly is about and why. This story of Ruth and Boaz is so important because it, it, it gives us a picture of not just what redemption is about, but what a redeemer had to be like in order to truly redeem. So we're going to apply a little, several of the things. i got four things about the redeemer um, that Jesus had to be that is illustrated in the story of Ruth and Boaz. So the first is this. A redeemer must be related if you notice in the story, as it goes, um, according to the law, to redeem, it had to be someone closely related. Not some fifth cousin twice removed. It had to be someone that is closely related to the family who is able to redeem. All right, that makes sense for, you know, Boaz in his case, but how, what does this mean for Jesus? How is Jesus, how must he be related to be a redeemer? Well, we can think, well, you know, Jesus... Um, is, is God, and from God he created all of us, and so we are his offspring, and so, you know, we can say, well, that's the relation. But the thing is, that's not quite what, what it, that's being said in the, in the beginning, in the creation story. See, if, if Christ, if that's all that happened, God would still be good, God would still be powerful, he would still be Lord, but he couldn't be Redeemer. This is where the incarnation comes into play. Jesus took on flesh and blood. In so doing, becoming a human, he became a man, he became a kinsman, 
He became one of us. And because he's one of us, we are related. And so he can redeem. That's how it has to work. And so this is part of the understanding of the incarnation. That's number one. Number two is a redeemer must be willing. Remember what's his face? He could have redeemed, but he wasn't willing. Boaz didn't have to redeem, but he chose to. Jesus, this is an easy correlation. Most of us recognize this, that Jesus didn't have to go to the cross. Jesus didn't have to save us. He could have left us to our own devices. He could have left us in our own sin, but he was willingly, he willingly chose in fact, John 10, 17 says it this way. The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down and when, when I want to and also to take it up again. For that is what my Father has commanded. Jesus willingly paid the price with his life, which really leads into the third thing about the Redeemer. The Redeemer must be just. In the story of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth wanted to marry Boaz, Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. So, you know, what's the problem? The problem is Boaz knew that that marriage would not be just, would not be right, unless it was righteous, unless it followed the just path. In other words, in that story, Boaz recognized that he did not have the first claim on redeeming Ruth. There was someone that was closer kinsman redeemer. There was someone else who had the right of refusal to redeem. And he had to go check with him first. That's what made it just. Well, with us, you think, well, I mean, Jesus can claim us, right? God created us. Jesus can claim us anytime he wants Well, there's a little problem in this. See, we have refused the claim whenever we sinned. Whenever we sinned, we gave sin the first claim in our lives. We gave sin the opportunity to claim us first. And it's a legitimate claim because every one of us has sinned. In fact, (laughs) The, the way that Romans 3 says this is, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. No one exempt from this. Every one of us has sinned. You can look across this auditorium and everyone here has sinned. Now you might have some exception of saying, well, you know, some of the kids, okay. We'll, we'll exclude them from that understanding, but that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying all human, humanity, we suffer from sin. Give us enough, enough time. We're going to sin. And some of my favorite two words in Scripture. This one says, yet God. I also like whenever it says, but God. But God, with undeserved kindness, declares we are righteous. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is a huge statement. See, the thing is, for God to be just, for Jesus to be just, they could not, 
just simply go away with the sin. He could not dismiss the debt or the claim that sin had on our lives. That would not be just. To be just, God had to transfer the debt. He had to transfer the debt onto his son. This is justice. Salvation is not free. It was paid for by blood of our Lord and Savior. Your life has been bought at a price, a price that you should have paid, but your Redeemer chose to pay it for you because he is just. Number four, this is why his plan of redemption works, is because a Redeemer must be free. A redeemer cannot pay a debt if he has his own debt. What's-his-face was afraid that he was going to hurt his estate. Boaz was willing, but the same is true for us. You see, you can't pay a debt if you have a debt. You can't pay someone else's debt if you already have a debt, especially when it comes to sin. And because you have sin, that means that you cannot pay the price for your kid's sin, your parent's sin, or anyone else's sin. Because you have your own sin to deal with. And you can't pay the price for someone else's sin. Because you're just as guilty. But Jesus had no sin. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. Christ had no sin but God made him sin so that in Christ we could become right with God. Christ became your sin because he had no sin himself. He was free from sin, so he was able to take your sin upon himself and redeem you. This idea, this scripture, separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. In every other religion, you have to do something, be something, achieve something, become some idea or something else. You have to work for your salvation. In Christianity, you respond to the salvation that's already been bought and paid for by God himself. Christianity is about responding to the gift that is already freely given. You didn't realize you had it so good, did you? Because sometimes we forget. In Christianity, God redeems us. In the story of Boaz and Ruth, the end of chapter 3, Boaz says, don't worry about it, I'll take care of everything. And chapter 4 is about Boaz taking care of everything. In the grand scheme of things, God tells humanity, Jesus tells humanity, I'll take care of everything. No matter your sin, no matter how much sin that you might have, how bad you think you are, Christ's sacrifice is enough to take care of it. No matter the ways that you have turned away from him and, and you felt like you had, you're, there is no way back, Christ was enough and he takes care of everything. He calls us to respond. And when we respond to the beautiful redemption that he offers, everything's going to change. The price of our sin 
is paid. Paid in full. We find this true love, this marriage with Christ, and we can rest in that kind of love. We're given a new name. It's one of my favorite things we don't talk about tons, but with the story of Ruth, I mentioned that she is never referred to as the Moabitess again. You know what's cool? In Christianity, you're given a new name. You are Christ's. You are a Christian. And you are never referred to, never should be referred to, as your old self again. That old sinner. Sure, you may struggle with sin, but you are not that name anymore. Because that name has been redeemed. You now bear the name of Christ, our Redeemer. Because of Christ's willingness to redeem us, I can truly say the best is yet to come. Because it's not just about this life. It's about this life in eternity. Because our Redeemer has bought bought us at a price. He has paid that price willingly because he was free of debt. And he has given us a life with him forever. And that right there, that right there is what redemption is all about. The, The story of Boaz and Ruth gives us this picture but the story of Christ and humanity shows us the full beauty of the plan of redemption. So this morning, if you're sick and tired of the old name that you've had, the one that bears the name sinner, and you want to come clean, I know a redeemer that can help you be clean. If you have kind of turned your back on God, maybe you were not fully away, but you've been wanting to just, you're just here because, ah, I feel like I had to be here this morning. But you're barely hanging on. And you're thinking, once I turn, there's no coming back. Or maybe this is your first Sunday back to church in a long time. You're like, you know what, let's give it a try. But I don't think God could accept me. I want you to know God is more than willing to accept every heart that turns to him. So this morning, if your heart is in it, and if you are in need of the redemption that Jesus offers, or if you're in need of prayers, or whatever, would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing together? The